Welcome, path folk, pathfinders, path friends, I don't know, whatever you want to call yourselves, to the path after people. party. Super friends. 24. Super friends. Four. Woohoo. Unfortunately, I am your host. I'm sorry. I'm not very good at this. That's rude. Well, it's true. Rude to I yourself. I mean, have some <laughs> self-confidence, Heather. Jeez. Uh, episodes, what are we doing? 70-something. 70-something. 70, 71, 72? <laughs> no. She wasn't lying. Uh, 69, 70, and 71, correct? No, that's not right. Yeah, 70, it was 71, 71 and 72. And 72. Episode 70, 71, and 72. I, I, I can't do numbers. So that was our triumphant return to the city and yes. talking to the council. Episode 69 could honestly be considered to be kind of the the conclusion to book two. I don't know. We're kind of in the in-betweens. Yeah. And so this is kind of the, uh, what are they? Interlude. We're in limbo. Hold on. There's, there's an official Pathfinder term. Oh, geez. Oh, really? The concluding the adventure segment of the Adventure <laughs> Path book. Ah, well, that's okay. a little on the nose. Well, no, that's yeah. what they call the end of the book. That is what the, it's, 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 it's basically the last like couple up. paragraphs. It's just yeah. like here's kind of a wrap up. It's like and this like, is how you your transition phase. Yeah, yeah. 70, 70, We talked to the council and told them what went down in the necropolis. Yeah. So, well, you guys packed it up, gathered yourselves together, had a quick concern about whether or not on yours could take off the mask. Retrieved the the members of the faded that were staying with the dark folk. Thanked the dark folk for their good deeds. Briefly went and, uh, <laughs> and shopped in uh, Sharhazarad's uh, <laughs> little market bodega. Sharhazarad, uh, I thought, would have better stuff. I know. I was a little disappointed. I mean, the cloak that it was a shield was kind of neat, to be really Yeah, nice. that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that would have been pretty cool. Also, but... I'm back from slothing. Oh, yes. Jessica has returned. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> we didn't even acknowledge it either. Yeah. It's like she's just back. Boom. Apparently, the sloth sanctuary thing just, just didn't, didn't work, work out. out. There were many in Texas. I, it yeah, turns out. To be fair, sloth's not very common in Texas. Oh, sorry. It turns out. Business was slow. Ah. Ah. All right. There you yes, go. Yes. That's my Jordan level joke for the yes. night. Yeah. Uh, Air five, far from a table. Uh, ah. yeah. Don't knock over your mic. <laughs> yeah. So, well, Jessica's back. We'll get to that in a second. The party did go kind of shop there. You went back. You talked to the council. You Left decided not to inform the council about the the mask, but and the call pulses and what all is all really behind that. The nobles don't need to know all that shenanigans. They'll yeah. just panic. <laughs> the important thing from that one is that uh, Septi kept the mask for and was going to use a, uh, a legend lore. A legend lore, of course, it is not routinely a divine spell. Famously, bards get it, but it is also an arcane spell as well. She has the knowledge domain. Or she has the knowledge yes. domain, yeah. which gives her access to the I legend. I think I lore said spell. something about that in the episode. I don't know if we uh, cut it or not. But yeah, yeah, you did. You did mention that. Like she must have the knowledge domain. Uh-huh. Pretty yeah. neat. So she has the uh, the knowledge domain, which lets her get access to legend lore. So How that convenient was kind of a, for the plot. I think honestly. So you guys were already starting to tack along the same direction, but we'll get to that uh, when we talk about yeah. 72. 72, uh, uh, well, Sweetie got confronted d- 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 by the Viper. 71. 71. Yes. <laughs> you should, you're bad at this. I know, I told you. <laughs> 71, Sweetie got confronted by the Viper. Yes, that was the, the tail end of 70. Uh, yes. The Viper showed up. 71 was the, here's my plan, and Sudi was like, F that noise. I should have just kicked him out the window. <laughs> Stunning out fist window. and kick. Yeah. But, he wouldn't have been that, that hurt. ticked him off. Sagira fell out that window and didn't die. I know. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a lot of elements usually where I talk about these in the after party, and I can talk a little bit like Septi having legend lore and it's kind of a mechanics I thing. I have a feeling the Viper could kick our butts. I could give him good odds against any one of you. Uh. All four of you together... I would still give him decent odds, but <laughs> does he have a flank, buddy? <laughs> you know? Don't need flank if you have a pretty faint. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say if you've got faint. 
mm-hmm. or a poison that puts somebody to sleep and then you just stab them or coup de gras them with sneak attack. Well, anyway. That's evil. Like well, you. Well, like, <laughs> <a nice> person. <laughs> What, what do you mean this guy named the Viper uses poison? How dare you? <laughs> Rude. What, what I was saying is that, you know, a lot of times I'll I'll talk about the mechanics and everything behind this, but really, 71 was was an episode about Sagira. That was kind of the crux of that. We did have, you know, Onuris going and speaking with his mother. Which Who's a horrible her. human being, I was God. Was really surprised, though? <laughs> really? I mean, you, you basically showed up and said... Hey, mom, who's not my real mom? Do you mind if we kind of like patch things? Oh, here's some stuff, and we're gonna kind of patch things up. And then but, she, uh, also, you're not my real mom. Well, she still thinks he's crazy. She never once called him crazy. She wanted her son Azizi back, and you're like, I'm not your son. <laughs> no, I just said I'm not. The Azizi isn't a person anymore. <laughs> it's like, you yeah, sorry, him, you took his body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm the, the alien hosting inside of your son. Oh, Creeps. What a, a twist. Spoiler. What a twist. That's too Stargate. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of this was Gira's exit from the story. And so, you know, I figured I'd kick it over to Jessica to talk a little bit about this. We had a conversation about this a little while back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, the, the fans have had their chance to react to this as well. So say to them? I guess give, give us a little bit of your, your thought process when you reached kind of a point where your character's motivations conflicted with the continued direction of the story. Yeah, so that happens sometimes. We were given this directive of like caring about Wati, so I built Sagira, but Sagira cares about a handful of people in Wati specifically, not really about the fate of the world, not really about Osirian, not really about most of the people in Wati, but it's like the ladies in the temple, Sudi, maybe her not dad dad a little bit um and so it just didn't make a whole lot of sense for her to like abandon the temple ladies and just like gallivant off and then the whole you know her mom's spirits in this gem thing provided a really nice narrative reason for her to stay the dark trapezohedron yeah but you know sometimes it's like that sometimes you play a character and you start wondering why that character would ever leave what they're doing and then at that point, you can either force it and then it gets kind of weird because you certainly don't want to be playing a character and wondering why they're even here. Well, and a lot of it was you came to me with the fact that you didn't see a way forward for Segura, that her motivation. I mean, let's let's face it that we'll get to another bit of this element here in a moment. Just talking about alignment <laughs> that, you know, Segura is chaotic neutral. That's true. She tends to be a very self-serving character. She's the closest thing to a real anti-hero that the group has. And... This idea of this pharaoh had his call stolen and put inside of this thing. He might come back fully reincarnated as, as this pharaoh and conquer Sothis. And there's, okay. yeah, and there's that element for Sekiro where it's just like, well, I don't care about Sothis. Also, I don't care. Like a pharaoh's a pharaoh. They're all bad. So, so you know, what is, I guess, your message out there for the listeners that may run into a similar thing? Like, like what goes through your mind when you're having to decide whether or not you want to try to find a motivation for a character to continue or whether or not it is truer to the story and to the story that you've been telling of a character to have that character exit, potentially not from the story forever. Yeah. That door is still open, but Segura's own motivations have deviated so much from the party that it causes a break from the party. Ultimately, when you choose to play in a cooperative role-playing game, you want to make a character that wants to be part of the team. And so there's a little bit of every now and then a character just gets away from you. Like Sagara just kind of got away from me. You just want to pick what makes the most narrative sense, even in your home game, because every character should have some sort of an arc. And yeah. I feel like Sagara's arc 
makes more sense with the final ending being like, yeah, I helped save Wati, but now I've got to take care of my own stuff. That felt a lot more true to who Sagira was than trying to figure out like, well, yeah, I mean, my kind of girlfriend's here and the only people who've ever treated me like family are here, but like, that's cool. I can abandon them and wander off. Like that doesn't feel like it makes a lot of sense for someone who's literally had arguments with the party about like, well, I don't care if the rest of the city burns to the ground. Like I only care about this one building of women. <laughs> so, I mean, I could have made the choice to be like, Sagira has changed and Sagira now cares about everyone, but it just wouldn't have rung true. I mean, ultimately do whatever makes the most sense for you. If you really love playing that character, yeah. figure out a way to make them continue. But if you're okay with maybe letting that character be a little bit retired or like on the side, maybe you'll come back to them, maybe not. It also gives you a chance to, to play something new, which is cool. Yeah, and I think in kind of contrast to that, like Sudi was very much like had never left Wati, never been outside of the city. And yeah. like the difference is narratively, I have the calling of the living monolith, that elevation to to a higher calling that's kind of drawing him out of the city and, and on to Tefu and beyond. So I think that it also just kind of depends on how the story progresses. And, you know, for Sagara, it didn't progress in that way where you mm -hmm. you got that higher calling and it really like sunk into your soul. And you're like, I've got to do this, even though it's uncomfortable, you know. Yep. So, and sometimes that's just part of it. The narrative just doesn't work that way because it's hard to balance, especially if you have a larger party, to yep. balance everybody's narrative. Yep. I've never had a character actually exit a party without dying. Although I have had occasions before where I've had to, to redirect a character's motivations and make them do something that wasn't 100% true to the character to have them continue. And I think it'll be interesting to try to explore that direction now. We touched a little bit on that going into 72 where it was the repercussions, the the sadness of Sudi having uh, Sagira didn't intend to just up and disappear. It was, you know, hey, I'm going to be going to go investigate this thing. And then suddenly we jump ahead a month and Sagira's lost. No one knows where she is. Sudi's trying to find his oldest friend and can't cue up the sad music from the end of each one of the Incredible Hulk episodes. I didn't yep. even know that that was going to be a thing. I fully expected to just have Sagira be around while y'all were in Wati. Yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of a shock. And it is one of those things. It's because it ends so mysteriously that, like, I think it gets even worse. It's one thing if you get closure in terms of, like, character, like, getting on the caravan and waving to everybody goodbye. But, like... So, so like, basically, like, I'll meet you for breakfast tomorrow. And then you and just then, disappear. Yeah. And it's... Yeah. it. I think if, if Rick had decided, you know, Sue, do you go straight into the training and you're not upset? Like, I would have been like, hold on, we have emotional baggage here. So, um, you know, Sudi does is a lot more introspective and kind of, you know... Monk. A, a monk, right? So, like, <laughs> you know, he's kind of meditated on it over the last month and had a chance to kind of... I guess come to terms with the fact that like he doesn't know where Segura is, but that you know doesn't mean if he comes back he's not going to try to maybe pick up the trail. Although we kind of know there's no trail to pick up, so oh, maybe yeah. we'll run into her again. But yeah, it was definitely something that like <laughs> at one point it just was like, yeah, this sucks. Nothing you can really do about it. It was an interesting episode. I actually I enjoyed 72 because one the first 71 episodes of our podcast basically took place over the course of about two weeks. The downtime was yeah. actually longer yeah. than what we've yeah. played. Yeah, and then we downtime for four weeks. We downtime for uh, 30 days exactly, because it was the nine days that it took you to for the city to recover, and then it took Septi three weeks to complete her legend lore spell to be able to divine the powers of the mask. Yeah. And I found that, found the whole thing to be interesting because uh, you all got to actually use your profession 
curator checks and profession, you know, craft painting checks and your profession temple guard checks so that Sudi's out there protecting the priests while they're taking care of uh, putting away the dead and I guess punching ghost scorpions in the face. And the, you know. I, I, the, the funniest part about it was I, I remember I'd asked Rick and I was like, you know, because we we're going to go buy stuff and I'm like, hey, are we going to get money for our, you know, doing our professions? And I was like, okay, so how much do I get? And he's like, if you take 10, you'll get 40 gold. And I just kind of looked down and I've got like 10,000 gold. And I'm like, man, that is nothing. No wonder I'm yeah, not going back to Yeah, so but that's guard. so much money for like the average person. It is, but yeah, it's just like, it, I love the, the funniest thing about Pathfinder is like when you first start playing at first level, like you get 10 gold for something, you're like, man, that's awesome. And then like at the, about this level, you're like 10 gold. I mean, that's not a whole lot. You know, yeah. What like, is that, an the, apple? A banana? <laughs> yeah, it's just that you just become like that rich like What do you person. mean this apple isn't magical? <laughs> yeah, and so I, I always find that really funny where eventually you're like, oh man, you know, I mean, that's a thousand gold. Like that's, 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 okay money like that's pretty decent money the yeah the advantage to the profession is uh you can use the profession as a player uh on yours notoriously uses his curator all the time to appraise objects mm -hmm. uh and i think craft painting has come in once or twice that yeah. you've been able to yeah, i'm the one who picked the uh somewhat useless one because i can't yeah. use profession uh to be, to be perfectly honest though if you were just like oh, okay we're planning on sneaking into this place it's like can i make a profession temple guard to like know generally what patrol patterns would be used for this building, I'd be like, screw it, roll it. Yeah, it's yeah, always good it's all about yeah, like coming point. up with yeah. inventive ways. I think Sabira <laughs> used for Black Market play. a couple of times. Yeah. I used Black Market and I used Undertaker a lot. Yeah, she actually yeah. used yeah. Undertaker a whole lot. Yeah. But actually, so, that may come into play when we get to Tefu. I, I think that's a brilliant thing in Second Edition where they combine where they have the lore skills that combines yeah. your profession and your knowledge check into one thing. Yeah, that's cool. But yeah, so you guys actually you got to use your profession checks. You all got to go through your downtime stuff. The party got to find out about the legend lore. You got to find out about. Some of this is stuff that Jessica doesn't even know. I don't know. You got to find out about a little bit talking. about Hakatep himself. Mm -hmm. You got to find out about the the Nethian faith's involvement in splitting his soul uh, and how it doesn't seem to have been a punishment so much as a power grab by the Church of Nethys. Well, we that don't has caused know this. that. Possibly, maybe, yeah. It but it didn't seem to be so much of a punishment. Yeah. Although it did cause some contention between Onuris and the rest of the party, and then the handing over the mask caused further contention. Sudi was not part of that. He was I feel saying like there's neutral. There's always contention. I wasn't the, even here. Yeah. It's always really interesting to like whenever we have these really tense moments to remember that like we're kind of role playing this. There was like actual shouting and stuff, and like I'm always just kind of like, okay. oh man, people are getting really intense into it. And then remember, oh no, no, that's your character that's getting hey. really intense into yeah, it. Yeah, but it, Rachel, Rachel and Heather were both occasionally they have this shouting thing, and then you know <laughs> like, kind of like have a joke or. Like, <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> you're, you know, you're in character and everything. It's like, I'm in character and I'm angry with you. Like, I can't wait to hear this the, episode. I was going to say that the, the funniest part about it is, you know, you're so into it where you actually shout, like you yeah. actually get into it or like, you yeah. know, the times whenever you're like, you know, you just barely pulled something off and you just got to let out a woo kind yeah. of thing, you know, like. <laughs> I, I love those moments, and and it, that's like the best part of role playing games for me is just yeah. like that those moments where you're so into it. Absolutely, it's interesting because uh, you could almost feel the dynamic shift. Oh yeah, no, with absolutely. only three people at the table, that yeah. suddenly because it, it was always it was always on yours and Sakura. Mm -hmm. It were yeah. always they were at counterpoints, they were butting heads. 
and then usually Citra would come in inside one way or the other. But this time it was just Citra versus Onuris and Sudi doing his usual, I'm Switzerland over here. (laughs) (laughs) Sudi knows better than to get between two people having a fight unless he's going to stop it with fists. Absolutely, by the way, not a uh, an antagonistic statement. We love all of our listeners from Switzerland. Switzerland's (laughs) Sometimes that's the right choice. Uh, It's so expensive to get to Switzerland because I know people there and I'd love to visit. Yeah, everything I've ever seen. It's a beautiful country. Somebody, somebody uh, tell us about a Switzerland convention. Send so we can us go there. chocolate. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, it's cocoa. No, the end of that episode, of course, has all of you ah. with your with your new direction, knowing that the only way to destroy the mask of the Forgotten Pharaoh is to combine the Baka and Ib. Which just also sounds like a bad idea because if we fail. They combine the Baka and Ib, and bad things happen. So it's yeah. kind of like you better not fail. The devil's in the details of like how exactly you do that. Yeah. It's it's the Indiana Jones uh, Last Crusade thing yeah. with uh, Indy's father and everything. Like my son wouldn't be stupid enough to bring that journal to you. <laughs> it's, he's just like, oh, oh yeah, I've got it right here. Uh, oops, yeah. <laughs> my bad. That, that was one of the things that I really disliked about the new uh, Tomb Raider because they basically ripped that off. Oh yeah. From oh yeah. Jones, and I was like, come on. Yeah. You yeah. can't you can't do that. You're in the same genre of like tomb robbing sort of stuff. I was like, you can't. <laughs> it belongs in a museum, Rachel. Bel- yeah. Yeah. The party found out about, you know, the direction that you need to go, the reasons that you need to head to Tefu, which, you know, will be explored a little bit more in the upcoming episodes. Yeah. But it's uh, as we left off at the end of 72 on yours had uh, taken the mask upon himself after much debate and uh, stormed off. From the uh, the party to go and arrange things and threaten to leave the party entirely. Oh why? Uh, I missed no, a lot. No, he threatened for me to leave the party. Uh, was <laughs> it? Threatened for someone to leave the party. Uh, no, no, he must. It, like the specific verbiage of it was, <laughs> "I'm going to Tefu. You can come if you yeah, want." Basically. basically. Oh, so yeah, this is a, a party bit. of one. <laughs> so yeah, so Onuris is like, regardless, I'm going to. He's Tefu. a little bit of a spoiled boy, like. That's not really. That wasn't what it was about, though. I don't know. I tried. I tried to empathize with Onuris a little bit in the in the after effects of that, but yeah, it is uh, probably something we're gonna have to discuss. I mean, was Citra trying not to go to Tefu? No, 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 no. It was. It was. It was the whole like like the mask could be a temptation and like all this Uh, other stuff. We'll we'll role play it out, but it's it's. uh, (laughs) I'm just gonna be like, wow, artifact on your head. That's yeah. No, the 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 basic (laughs) the basic gist of it is Onuris is like, this is my burden to bear because like my family has maybe possibly something to do with it. And then, uh, oh, so you know, Citrus though, right? And, well, Citra goes Horcrux and says maybe we should all share it and wear it occasionally. Oh, nice, good yeah. plan. Because like it keeps, it actually blocks divination, so it blocks the cult from yeah. finding but it. But problem is, every time you take it off, yeah, you run the risk. But yeah. her thing was, is that she was just worried about on yours, but she was not saying it. It wasn't being really said and, that way. Yeah, because uh, well, she was trying, but she was angry because like yeah. it was she was worried. And, and as that we all know, when you get angry, like the logic <laughs> yeah. just fly right out the window, and you start saying things you don't mean uh-huh. it's yeah. true such good role playing as a fun side note while being worn of course it is under the effects of non-detection and so uh, it doesn't even detect as magical oh that's funny yeah, yeah. it's shielded yeah. Oh, yeah. from all divinations yep, yep. so Onuris just has a fancy headdress I was but really only, looking forward to that there's the little bit of the twist surprise there that uh, Septi's doing a little subterfuge giving you the mask taking the box that uh, yeah. she'd been containing on it making it apparent to everyone that she was taking it to she's the ruby it. prince and so oh. she's drawing all the fire on herself yeah. while the party yeah. oh that's sad Traits I was going to say, if you want to know how dire it is, that is That's happening. Upsetting. I love Septi. That's how though. dire this situation is right now. Yeah. Septi's great. So, 
so, off her eyeliner. Yes. <laughs> so the party then got ready to go, and we had uh, we had a little little sting, ah. a little teaser right there at the end for Tetmanib Jessica's. Tetmanib up to something. Tetmanib's up to something. Has some plans. Uh, I think it's going to be really intriguing uh, uh, introducing Jessica's new character. Yeah, the interesting part about that was we we always play in the terms of what your characters see is all you know. Yeah. And then it's suddenly like we have this like camera cinematic moment where like we see something we don't actually see and so it's like one of those like really weird moments where I'm like what's going on right now yeah, yeah. but that was of <laughs> course intended that it's actually from Jessica's point of yeah. view because it's still from another player's point of view but still yeah. removed from everything that the party knows about so, yeah. Yeah. so I got I, to hear that funny. part that's going to be intriguing <laughs> yeah the one last thing that we're going to kind of address and some eagle eyed viewers might have actually caught them curious actually uh, leave a comment if you did catch this there was a notable change to the characters, one of the characters in one of the recent episodes that if you're looking at the show notes, you might have noticed that there was an alignment shift. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so starting a few episodes on Eurus's alignment actually shifted, curiously coinciding with getting the mask. Not saying that, that has anything to do with the mask. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, totally a coincidence. No, Heather and I had a conversation and we decided that Unyurus's alignment had moved from lawful good to lawful neutral. Which is actually the alignment of his deity. Which so. is actually the alignment of Horus himself. High five for lawful neutral buddies. <laughs> lawful neutral oh buddies. God. I can't reach you way over there. Air, air five me. Okay. Yeah. Jordan's real big into the air five today. <laughs> so I wanted to talk just a little bit briefly about, about the alignments. Everyone knows the, the nine alignment system, the lawful and the good and the chaotic and the evil axes. And on your started this adventure path as lawful good. And there had been debates in our group. Heather had cracked jokes a couple of times about swearing that Onurus is, uh, is lawful good. <laughs> that Onurus is very much about the balance. And Onurus does seem to believe wholeheartedly that law makes the best good. That order and structure provides for the greatest good to the greatest number of people. And I won't get into the whole philosophical debate pertaining towards that. But the alignment shift was really just to try to tack onto Onurus the mechanics of how Onurus had basically Onurus become is, a the greater good. Onurus is very much the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. We're yeah. not going to waste time looking for the Viper's kid because every second we waste doing that is another second that the rest of the city is in danger. It's more important to save everyone in the city than to save this one person. The concept is Onurus is about the quote unquote the greater good. <laughs> Which, I mean, is oftentimes willingness to make these sacrifices and everything to progress the good of, of a culture of society. I find it interesting because if you really boil down the, the ancient Egyptian opinion on things and the ancient Osirian, assuming that they are the same, view on it is there was never a good or evil mm -hmm. in the Egyptian ideal of things. There is just order and chaos. The entire universe was chaos. And then Atum came forth and put order upon everything, you know, rose up from the wild tempestuous sea and created the land and so on. If you get back to their mythology and the whole concept of the war between Horus and Set is just a war between order and chaos. And so as Onurus has kind of progressed, I almost almost like to view it a little bit as as that element of Onurus that was Azizi was concerned with the mundanity and going to school and, you know, getting grades and going on dates and the generic. I like that you think Onurus has ever been on a date. That's no, yeah, cute. That's <laughs> but the, the person that's it's interested in the mundanity of it is dying out. And then there's this Onurus as this divine warrior that's all about the, it's like, no, we need order. We need structure. We need this. Mechanically, it doesn't affect 
a whole lot, you're not subject to Unholy Blight, or you take half damage from Unholy Blight now. Mm. So I mean, it doesn't really actually impede on yours very much. I think at points it was really kind of drawn to the fore because of the the arguments between Citra and Onurus, who are ostensibly the two good aligned characters. And Citra really kind of fulfilled the group's position as this this moral compass and to on Eurus, it's always the it's the greater good mm-hmm. oh the every time you say greater good, good yeah the hot fuzz. greater good no. <laughs> oh, well, I, see I'm all, I also go to Harry Potter and Grindelwald mm-hmm. oh, okay. oh no I personally actually go to uh, the Tau for any Warhammer 40k oh, fans yeah, out 40K, there the they greater also are good. the greater nope. good with the uh, hot system fuzz. yeah <laughs> greater cool. good I do, I do love the Tau in 40k not gonna lie yeah yeah it's it's also one of those things for us when we generally when we play lawful good characters good trumps law and so like we've had enough kind of debates also with Onuris about like we should do this thing even though it's a little chaotic or whatever and the, the kind of strict adherence to order is I think also like the more poignant character point for Onuris. Yeah, don't be afraid to change alignments because like people aren't always in boxes. So yeah. if your character's yeah. on an arc, sometimes I the actually alignment regularly changes. do yeah. characters that go on an arc of some type that has an alignment shift. You know, that's my personal belief, and so I uh, I like characters that that have that alignment shift as part of the character arc. Yeah, I'm nearly positive that over the years between the various adventure paths, I've shifted the alignments of every person sitting at this table on at least one character once. Yep, oh, probably. Yeah, mine for sure. Yeah. So, and again, a, a shout out there for, I guess, a message out there for all of our game masters. You know, never use alignment chips as a punishment. For sure. The idea is just to make the character's alignment match the character's actions. I mean, mind you, if a character is, is arguing that I'm lawful good all the time while they're burning down orphanages, sure. Yeah, okay. um, probably maybe, not lawful maybe, or, or good. Yeah, maybe yeah. Make a change. <laughs> I think it's also one of those things that, like, it's always good to kind of signal that that is because like one of the one of my favorite magic items especially for paladins is a black tree of faithfulness oh yeah because it tells you when you're going to do something that's against your tenants you do get that warning system of hey you know that wasn't actually a really good thing to do you should probably not do that again it's always good to kind of shout that out just so that Mm -hmm. if the character did do that or the player did do that unintentionally they can adjust instead of just being like wait why are we bumping me down i've been doing this stuff and nobody said anything you know it's kind of just nip that in the bud and at the end of the day, alignment only matters for a handful of classes. Like, if yeah. you're a rogue, yeah. it doesn't matter what alignment And you spell are. effects and things like that. It, it, it has mechanical. Yeah, input. so. Yeah. So that kind of sums up our changes there. Uh, that 72 really marked the end of Empty Graves. Phenomenal book by Crystal Fraser. That was great. That was a good that one. Good. And marks the beginning of Shifting Sands, another phenomenal book, uh, having read through it, uh, by Richard Pete. So good. that's going nice. to be where we're starting in 73. But I guess I'll kick it back over to Heather here. Yeah, we have some, as always, some fan mail. Fan Fan mail. mail. All right, we have first emails from... uh, It's always Blue's Clues. Goodness. (laughs) It's from uh, Christopher from Sioux City, and he wants to be from Night Owl because he's obviously amazing. Uh, I was going to say, obviously, you're an animal with Heather. Night Owl on your... I don't want to. I like my limbs. Have you and Heather can just hang out in Night Owl with your black eyeliner? Yeah. The overall court and all the awesome stuff. You're going to be covered in scars. All right, where, where, where in Night Owl is he from, Heather? Uh, Give me a place. Pangolin, no. Yeah, no. That's not Pangolius it. is the capital where Pangolus. the halls of exquisite agony are. I believe oh, it's named man. after the noble pangolin. I, I live in the forest. <laughs> that's Sankuthan's, <laughs> like, them. favorite animal. Yeah, that's of his course. favorite animal. Of course. Uh, now I, oh, my God. 
Uh, I really want his favorite animal to be porcupine, but I don't to, think it is. To put this <laughs> in I think it's a bat, to be 100% oh, okay. honest. To put this adorable. in perspective so that we know the level of fun that this is, if you don't have any clue what Night Owl is, Night Owl is basically the country that worships Zonkathun, <laughs> who's basically Hellraiser. Sure. Pretty much. Sure. Anyway, Loophole. Christopher from Night Owl, because hey, he's awesome. Pangolus. It says, uh, hey, crew, I listen to a lot of Pathfinder podcasts, and you are by far the best. Oh, yeah. thank you. I appreciate right, your dedication feels. to the rules and willingness to adapt to the situation when necessary. Uh, Rick, I've started preparing to start a mummy's mask group. Um, nice. Do you have any suggestions for me? I noticed you've added a few things for better flavor, and I think I'm going to use some of your ideas. I'm also curious about your thought process on those changes. Yeah, I mean, I a lot of what I've added has been because of the party. Um, you know, yeah, the, make the par- you got to make the party fit. Yeah, the inclusion of the Temple of Bestead, of course, ties in directly to Jessica's character's backstory. The the focus a lot on the voices of the Spire, which don't have as big of a focus, especially in the first book, is because of Jordan, Rachel, more or less involved. Falto and everything that has been connected to that and Heather's character's own connection to like all of the nobles and everything of the city played up a large part of that angle. My big suggestions would be take advantage of the fact that this adventure path takes place in an obvious analog to a real world society um, or ancient society in the case of the ancient Egyptians. So be sure to include things like looking up information about the ancient Egyptians or learning more. I, I don't think at any point it might actually say in the God section that they describe Anubis as the opener of the way. But it's something that it's an actual title. It is Anubis's primary title in our world, which is why I kept referencing him as the opener of the way, or really Toth as the the god of scribes. There are a lot of, I'm I'm not going to lie to you and not to downplay the importance of big, impressive Egyptian textbook. There are a lot of fun, illustrated, almost like kids' guides to ancient Egypt stuff that you will learn a ton from, just like the bobbers and all the rest of that. With these cutesy illustrations, it's something that you can knock out and you could read in a single afternoon. And it's full of great illustrations that you can use at your own table for kids. So they're not really just for kids. Illustrations uh, are for everyone. What yeah. The, the DX uh, like line of kids books. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. It's funny enough, uh, when I first started playing Dungeons & Dragons way back in the day when I was a kid, one of my favorite books that I had, I sadly don't have it anymore, was, uh, do you guys remember those cross-section books? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I had yes. a cross-section book of a castle, and that's how I learned all about like the keep and the bailey and you know the murder holes and how you know, the curtain wall versus the interior walls and all the like. I learned all of this from just this, this big cross-section book when I was a kid. There's also a book called, I think, Fiction Writer's Guide to Fantasy or something like that. And it has like all of these medieval terms for things. Like Rachel and I used it when we were writing. I still have it. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it, but it's really good. I'd actually like to look through that sometime. Yeah, it's on my shelf. It's a great reference. We should know what it's actually called. Put it in the notes or something. Yeah, Yeah. I'll I'll put a a thing to it in the show notes. But the other thing that I would say is decide what your group is the most interested in. I, I know my players have been playing with these guys for a long time. I know that I can immediately excite mostly Rachel and Jessica anytime that I bring any sort of class dynamics between the upper and yeah. lower class into anything <laughs> like that. That gets them going anytime that I'm doing like a deep dive, you know, Jordan loves setting stuff. So anytime I'm doing like a deep dive into like the minutia of like the Osirian setting or anything, I know that's going to excite Jordan with Heather. She's really big into the divine beings and the gods. So the more that I talk about the Pantheon or the ancient gods of Osirian or her character's hatred of Serenre. Uh, so really is great, by the way. I, 
okay, Onuris does not like Seren Ray. I yeah. have several characters that follow yeah, Seren Ray. That's Seren not Ray. like a Heather thing. That's yeah. an Onuris yeah. thing. But it also it ties which back is, into the Yeah, setting. which is another of thing course. that ties back into the setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one thing that I would just throw out there as a final thing, just on my thoughts on it, is make sure that your additions don't detract from the story. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of times where it's like, it's great to make Sudi have this big dramatic backstory where he's the last eye of Raw, but you don't want to play it up so much that that becomes more important than the main story than dealing with the mask. Yeah. I don't want to play up the whole element of Sagira's backstory and like her mother's whole thing. I and mean, that's part of the reason why Sagira kind of left is that, mm-hmm. you know, that became more important to her character than the main plot. Yep. So don't overplay the development of or the gotta, development of backstory it, elements. Yeah, you got to keep it balanced also because, I mean, it's it's also very easy, especially if you're like really into one character's thing to suddenly make it all about that one character yeah. and like to the diminishment of everybody else. Cooperative storytelling. And, anyway. and then uh, he says, for the rest of the team, are you going to cast the expanded Pantheon? I'd love to hear you cast Grotus, Besmara, and Nadiri. Uh, the gods have always been my favorite part of Pathfinder, so thank you for casting them. I mean, sure. I mean, Probably. maybe. It's quite possible. Once we finish casting the gods, we'll figure out what we're, the main gods, we'll figure out what we're doing from there. Yeah. I think we'd already said what you're going to. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as long as we have. I mean, there's parties, the whole the Inner Sea we'll Gods book. That's just either that or we start uh, casting NPCs. Yeah. Well, let's do <laughs> Gods. Go, uh, let's go, Kira Knightley for Bismarck. <laughs> Kira Knightley. <laughs> oh, she's already up. running for Shalin, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think she tied for Shalin with uh, someone. Yeah, I can't reuse people. I can't so, well, thank you no, we for your people. email, Christopher cast. from from Nightall, the best yeah, place so in Galarian. No, no. Enjoy your exquisite suffering. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, maybe if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah. Our second email is from Graf and the Boys from the Manaways. Hey yeah, nice. Uh, skip the praise for Rick's sake. You need to leave that in there for the rest of us, though. <laughs> I gotta say the Manaways. I love the Manaways. Love them. Every time we hear that, we, we know we put you there, but we love them also yeah, a lot. Yeah, uh, my little inner steampunk girl loves it. <laughs> yeah. With the, and he says, with the new edition coming out, I wonder, what do you think of the changes to the setting in 2E, aka Goblins as PCs, the 2E setting updates carrying over the results of some... Uh, previous adventure paths to the core setting and his second question kind of ties into that for us because his second question is do your adventures exist in a shared world i.e do your characters and their specific choices in earlier adventure paths inform how later adventures are played out so the answer to that one is yes uh, yes uh, all, all of our adventures we keep dedicated timelines so we can officially look at this and go, oh, hey, wow. while the plague is going, or while the battle against the undead and the cop pulse is going on in Wati, our carrying count- crown characters were doing this, this. you know. Yeah. It's really fun. So, fighting uh, werewolves And that kind of ties into your first question with the 2E setting updates. We're going to say, like, if they put in print so-and-so is the ruler of Corvosa because of the events of Curse of the Crimson Throne, we're going to throw that sentence out the window, and the person we put in charge is the person in charge. Which sure. I think yeah. is what they said to do anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, so, that, that's 100%. I like, I, oh. I like the idea that they carried the setting forward. It feels like a new Ex- era. Especially right? for people who haven't been playing since it launched, like yeah. some of us have yeah. been. Um, it, yeah. It's kind of the, I love the Mass Effect series, mm-hmm. and like the, the fact that you could carry your mm-hmm. your character and their experiences over between the games is really cool, but they also had the, I, I guess you kind of call it the default. Of, canonical. Yeah. You know, or canonical of, you know what, if you just picked up Mass Effect 3, you never played 1 and 2, 
this is what is set up. The setup was here's who died, here's who, you know, what decisions you made previously. And it's kind of that where like, if you just coming into Pathfinder, you haven't played any of the adventures, you're only gonna play second edition. You have this reference point yeah. to like a rich history of stuff that depending on the adventure path, maybe as small as, oh, hey, there's a new king on the throne in this city all the way up to, you know, entire geographies have changed depending on, you know, the yeah. adventure path. Yeah. They did specifically state, and I think it was a smart move on their part that they assumed that the party was successful in every one of those adventure paths yeah. because they didn't yeah. want to negate. It's like, well, we successfully stopped the fire bleeder from exploding out of a mountain. And then they're just like, oh, well, nope, Too nope, bad. that mountain's gone. There's a spot of Robogog just going wee across yeah. the landscape. Spoiler. Uh, um, but I didn't yeah. mention what adventure path it was from. True. You yeah. don't know. <laughs> I mean, I you know, know, but. <laughs> uh, the, on the subject of goblins as PCs, yeah. uh, I mean, every, you could always play a goblin as a PC. Yeah, they, they were um, in the, uh, un, I think they were the co- uncommon races. Yeah. And I think I think their inclusion in the core rulebook seemed to have elevated their importance in a lot of people's eyes. And I can kind of see where people are coming from there. But Eric, I think it was Eric Mona specifically said that the, if your PC is a goblin, then your character is the exception to the yeah. rule. Um, that most goblins are still, we're burning down places and doing all the rest of this stuff, but your character is kind of a, a breached exception. And they've made, they've created some tribes that get along better with humanity. That being said, it's kind of the, it's the Dritz Duarden thing. It's uh-huh. if you make, everyone wants to make a good aligned drow, it kind of removes Dritz from being this exception, this interesting character, because he is bucking the trend. Yeah, but uh, now that it's in the book, this, there's going to be a lot of good aligned goblins. Yeah, so. I mean, there's going to be a lot of good aligned goblins out there. And if people want that for their adventure paths, then that's great. But in the, uh, I don't know, the, the Find the Path universe, uh, I don't think we have as of yet had any good aligned goblin PCs. Nope. So no, no, it doesn't mean that it won't happen. But Not to say that we haven't befriended a few in some adventures we've done, but... Those usually still aren't good goblins. They're just not smart enough to realize what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, I played a good kobold. So, I mean, obviously, I don't feel like alignment should be a tie to races and stuff. But I think it would have made sense to have the orc if you're going to have half orc in there in the core rulebook but yeah. I'm not making the decisions and if you don't like goblins just don't play them yeah so the, I, yeah the, the bigger change for me was actually the inclusion of alchemy and the alchemist as a core class because I'd always kind of thought of alchemists as like these like rare weird people who just like yeah. you know you mix a couple of things together and like magic happens but you're I, not s- doing I still magic, think they should know? have put the oracle in so you had the spontaneous mm-hmm. arcane and divine and you had the you know memorized well, they, they got around that divine. with the sorcerer also I know, I know but yesterday. still, I went Heather. Oracles are my fave. Well, my second favorite. The argument for alchemists being in there is the fact that alchemy has been in the core rulebook since the very beginning. Yeah, because you can just um, brew. And so actually having a character that, you know, does that as a primary focus. But that's getting into the rules mechanics necessarily, more necessarily. They're not saying that alchemy is more common in the setting any longer. It's just yeah. now that's a, a core option. Yeah. So I, I guess in short, it seems like most of us are pretty happy with the, uh, the progression of the core campaign setting. It unfortunately means a lot of spoilers if you haven't played through the first edition book. So many spoilers. I think something can be said for the fact that the journey is just as important as the end. Even yeah. if you, even if 
some of you out there were listening to one of the panels at PaizoCon and know how Mummy's Mask will end. You know, have an idea based on a, a spoiler in one of the panels that Heather and I were actually in. I looked um, at Rick and I just grinned. <laughs> it's, it's not a huge one, but even if you have an idea of how it's going to end, you don't know how the party got there. It's kind of like just going, you know what, I'm going to skip all the Marvel movies and just watch the last 20 minutes of Avengers Endgame. <laughs> Weird. It's like, yeah. okay, well, you know how it ends, but you have no context for any of this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... Thank you to Graf and the boys from the Mana Waste for right. their questions. When he says yeah. Graf like to hear about you. When he says Graf and the guys. boys, you know what that makes me think of now that we've a mentioned k <laughs> Like the orcs? Oh, yeah. the boys. The, the boys <laughs> from the orc. Boys with a Z. Yeah, for, for Warhammer and 40k. Wow. Graf and the Daka boys from down in uh, <laughs> the, the Mana, Mana Waste. Waste. Needs more Daka. Needs more so, Daka. And this time we, uh, we also have a few shout outs. To Elizabeth, Brian, and Zotor for expressing their enjoyment of our podcast. Yeah, Zotor. just want to give you guys a shout out. Thank yeah. you for emailing us and uh, and offering your thoughts and your suggestions and such for the the podcast. We always really appreciate that. And, uh, and Zotor's from Germany, so we always like hearing from our international listeners. And then we also want to thank our uh, friend of the pod, Sarah, for taking pins hey, and buttons to Gen Con and Woo-hoo. passing those out to the path folk she ran into up at Gen Con. She was honorary yeah. Israel messaging. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And she has yes. an adorable kitty cat that there's a picture of on our Reddit, and we were way more interested in the cat than anything <laughs> yeah, else about that true. post. We were like, kitty! Well, no, when he Rachel first showed me the out, picture, yeah. I was like... What, did she Photoshop Ezio into the picture? Because her cat looks so much like Ezio. It's crazy. Ezio's her cat, not the... Uh, not the Italian not Ezio. Ezio Andorre. Well, Ezio's yeah. my cat. Yes. I know. That's what I said. Yeah. Yes. Ganondorf, I believe, is... Uh, they had another animal. Was it a dog that was named Navi? I, I can't remember. So. Because that's much more, that much more likely to go, hey, 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 hey. listen. Hey, so yes, yeah, so thank you, Sarah, for handing out path folk stuff. I don't know. Words. I don't have them today. For, for, for being in charge yes. of our reach out. and uh, Ambassador. You know, thank you, Sarah, for uh, for all of your Gen Con uh, assistance. And, uh, say maybe one of these years we'll get up there and get too many people are Sarah. at Gen Con. It's if so I'm true. ever at Gen Con, you got, y'all... We've gotten a lot of plight requests uh, from the, the fine folk of uh, Columbus. Gallaspire. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they, yeah. Apparently we said it's Gallaspire. They want to prove that Columbus, Ohio is not an undead wasteland. <laughs> And have invited us out to To, to be fair, I mean, somebody from Columbus picked Gallowspire. Yeah. And then it just rolled out. Can I yeah. also just say... Yeah, uh, thanks, Mike. They want to show it's not an undead wasteland, and my internal Admiral Akbar is going, it's a trap! Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Ohio is actually one of the few states in the U.S. I have not been to. Okay, well, so I've also not been to Ohio. We'll Either. see what we can do. So that's, that's the shout-outs and the emails. I'm going to roll. Are you going to announce what we're even doing? What do we always do at the end of every episode? Try to take the world. We're all like saying bad versions of Pinky in the Brain over here. We're going to cast a deity, y'all. Okay. I rolled a two. <laughs> what? Um, I, okay, first off, I don't believe you because you never roll below an 18. Heather's I sick. don't believe you. Heather's dice are sick. Heather's dice are she sick. She was rolling a D2, everybody, and that's what it, that's what it was. It's just a it's coin. It's literally a piece of paper. <laughs> a, a coin, but both sides say two. <laughs> it's, a, it's one of those uh, two, the joke coins. Although both the two heads. is the high side of a D2, so technically she rolled high. That's what I'm saying. That's what, I'm with you. That was the whole joke of a D2. I get it. D2. I didn't get it because I was not there. <laughs> That was the whole point. The of slots made me slow. 
we really need to open a sloth sanctuary. I'm just do saying. we? Is that something we need Dude, to do? I, I, all right. So who all right. are we casting? So for this week, we are going to be casting Iomide the Inheritor. Oh, this one's easy. Goddess of uh, honor, justice, rulership, and valor. Yeah, this I actually know one for this one. Mm-hmm. At just over 900 years old, Iomide is the youngest of the major deities of Galarian and has only begun to reach her full potential as an independent deity in the last century. She is a righteous knight, fearless in fighting for her beliefs, and a missionary and crusader on behalf of the benign sovereignty of good and merciful justice for evil. She would rather convince evildoers to lay down their arms in honorable surrender than cut them down, but she will wield her mighty sword against those who persist in serving evil. She loathes incorrigible evil, fiends spawned, traitors, and those who abuse good in the name of, quote, greater good. Mm. Mm, ironic. Uh, <laughs> Now, out from under the shadow of her patron, the slain human culture deity, Aridin, she has proven she needs no mentor to guide her. She is valor, glory, honor, justice, and strength, and is unafraid to point her sword at the greatest evils facing the world. Despite her youth and comparative late start, she has been instrumental in fighting evil in the world, even during her mortal lifetime as a paladin of Arasni, and after that, the demigod's death, Aridin himself. Born immortal in Chiliac, she led the Knights of Ozum in a series of victories of the Whispering Tyrant and participated in his imprisonment. Success in the test of the Starstone a short time later granted the valiant swordswoman a spark of divinity and brought her to the attention of Aridin, who elevated her to the position of his herald, vacated by the falling Arasni. When the last Aslanti died, Iomide inherited most of the remaining followers. Though born in Chiliac, she is worshipped by many people outside of that land and most recently has taken up patronage of the Mendevan Crusades. Once the Crusaders have succeeded in ending the expanding threat of the World Wound, aka Second Edition, <laughs> she plans to inspire them to wipe her homeland free of its diabolical taint. Nice. So I know who Iomide is because I've I, known who Iomide is forever. I yeah, I've been I waiting for us casting. to roll this one because I'm like, I know who I want for Iomide. I, I have know. a feeling that we're all going to say the same name. I don't it's think gonna so. It's going to be hilarious. I don't think that's so, a thing. Uh, so Gwendolyn Christie is Iomide and fight me. Brian of Tarth. Fight. Yes. Yeah, Brian of Tarth. That's fight fine. me. Tarth is wonderful. I had a backup, but I always go back to Gwendolyn Christie. Yeah. So. No, Katie Sackoff. <sighs> I don't know. Cause yes. I mean, okay, as Starbucks, she was pretty fierce. Yeah, so she was I, fierce I can, in everything I've ever it. seen her in. I, I do like her, but I just, I've always pictured, because I picture Brienne of Tarth, but you don't watch Game of Thrones. Nope, so, don't. Nope. Like, don't like things that kill dogs in the first episode. Not into it. No. Well, Because <laughs> my backup is Zoe Bell. Who's Zoe Bell? Um, she's actually not much of like a front man a- actress. Like, she's usually the stunt double. So she was oh, the stunt double for Uma Thurman. Okay. But she did get like a front role in Death Proof. She was the chick that was riding on the front of the car. Nope. And everything, but she's that. really tall and Gwendolyn, <laughs> Gwendolyn Christie. Christie is yeah, I mean, my, that was my vote too. So. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna throw one out here. She's older for the part, but my my quintessential view always for any awesome strong female lead is Sigourney Weaver. Oh, oh, yeah. I just love her in absolutely yeah. everything that she does, and she's the embodiment of absolutely. Also highlighting Rick's love of Alien. Yeah. Alien franchise. So he's like, you have three choices. You got. I'm sorry, Sigourney Weaver was just like, kid. I don't like, I see love it. Sigourney I really Weaver. don't I could, see that one. I don't know. I could see that one. I mean, Katie Sackhoff. I mean, I, that, obviously, think of her maybe more in terms of like the kind of more militant side that she had in like Avatar. I don't know, maybe. So like, Although, she's a little bit. If she was a- acting a little more militant. If I was actually going to go with a uh, person that looks the part a little bit more. You got to um, pick one. You can't have two. Yeah, that's what everybody tells me, but I always list like five. I would say Jamie Alexander. 
She plays Lady Sif in the Thor movies. Oh. Um, she's just great and looks like very much looks the uh, part yeah, of Yeah, okay, I can see that because she also like because when you mentioned Chalaxian, I was like, okay, so more kind of Italian, like maybe darker hair. Gwendolyn, swole. Ayamade has to be swole. And that's definitely. Hey, Katie Sackoff is swole. Katie Sackoff is, Sack is swole too. But There's a lot of buff ladies. Gwendolyn. Christy, y'all. The folk will decide. <laughs> so yeah, we'll leave it up to the path folk. Uh, I guess, I guess I'll take. Oh wait, no. There's there's other other roles I'd really like Sigourney Weaver for. All right, <laughs> Jamie Alexander. Jamie Alexander. All right. All right. Technically, I'm... the majority here did go to Gwendolyn Christie, but mm-hmm. like I don't care. The majority here went to Gwendolyn. <laughs> we should leave now. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this after party. Before we let you go, we do want to bring up a quick announcement. An announcement to an announcement, if you will. Okay. Coming up uh, September 2nd, this following Monday, we are going to have a, uh, a big announcement. You're going to see a couple of things pop up in your feed. Uh, we are very excited to share all of this with you, and we hope that you'll check it out. Three things. Three things. However many things pop up, there will be lots of things for you to check out. So, so many things. We encourage you. Uh, I, I can only say that this is something that we've been working towards for a long time. I won't go into any further detail there, but I think you'll be excited to hear and I think I can say from all of us at Find the Path that we greatly appreciate your continued listening to us and we think that you are going to love what we are about to share with you. Rick, as always, master of suspense. Suspense. Your sense motives now. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we'll see you on Monday. So uh, good, good luck, Path Folk. Until next time. Yep. It's a yeah. trap. Yeah. <laughs>